Hey everybody, it's Allie, and welcome to our YNR chat for Sunday, April 15th. So Chelsea this week delivered a healthy baby boy. Thanks in no small part to Adam, who found her, rescued her from the ice, got her to a cabin, gave or de delivered the baby, and then not only that, but when the baby came out, kind of resuscitated, gave gave him kind of a couple of little uh, taps <laughs> just to make sure he was breathing and moving and everything. At first, when the baby came out, he wasn't crying, and it was sort of scary. I thought maybe it was going to be stillborn, but Adam saved the day all around, and... Billy and Victoria both found their way to the cabin separately. Victoria with the help of Victor's helicopter and Billy just on the sheer, um, I don't know, hunch that he had that she might be out at that, out and around that lake. And as soon as Billy and Victoria show up, Adam hightails it out. He decides he just doesn't want to be on the scene. Billy and Victoria are hovering over Chelsea. Now, here is the part where you guys will totally disagree with me. I know it. I can feel it coming. I know that I'm going to be alone in this thought, but I'm sorry. To me, it felt like Billy and Victoria were hovering like vultures. Like just, I don't know, Billy and Victoria have been on my nerves this week and in previous weeks. I just, I don't feel warmed up to Billy and Victoria. And it didn't help my feelings that as soon as they both got there, they were fawning over the child, and obviously for good reason. They were excited, their new mommies and daddies, but Chelsea was a total side note. She was lying there on the ground, probably with hypothermia. I mean, she's freezing. She's just given birth. She was talking cuckoo. Chelsea's talking crazy. She is just out of it. She doesn't exactly realize where she is. I think on some level she thought she was at the club or something, but she's obviously not with it. And Billy and Victoria, it just felt like it was that Chelsea was an afterthought to them. After sitting around playing with the baby for a good couple of minutes, they finally thought, out loud, hey, maybe we should get them to the hospital. <laughs> maybe we should get them out to the ambulance. We should call the ambulance. And in in fact, uh, luckily, the ambulance had already been called by Adam and um, a follow-up call uh, from, uh, from Abby. But still, it just, it annoyed me that Chelsea is just this incubator for them. And it's been this way the entire time. I don't know why I would think it would be any different now, but naturally, as soon as the baby was born, Billy and Victoria started scrambling. They were afraid that because of the fight between Victoria, Nabby, and Chelsea, that Chelsea would change her mind and would decide to not move forward with giving the baby to them. And it was literally like Chelsea was barely off her meds. She had barely just given birth. And Billy and Victoria were in her hospital room badgering her, pressuring her, pestering her about custody of the child, which I do understand. Chelsea is a con, a con, a con artist. <laughs> she 
has been a pain in their butts for months now, and they really don't have a whole lot of reason to trust her, other than the fact that she had already signed a prenatal agreement. She had already given them every reason to think that she was going to go through with the deal, and they're still there pressuring her. And I can't help but feel like, hey, Victoria, you remember what just happened with Chelsea? Pressuring her was what got them into the situation in the first place. It was pressuring her about her lifestyle and her friendship with Adam that got them in that argument that set Chelsea off onto the ice that caused this whole problem. So what makes you think that pressuring her now is going is to be any different? Luckily for Billy and Victoria, Anita caught wind of this whole thing via Victor, actually. And she came back into Genoa City, rushes over to the hospital, despite the fact that she was paid by Victor not to. She goes to the hospital, goes to Chelsea's room, and starts to give one last plea for trying to use the baby to get a little bit of money. This is her last-ditch effort to squeeze a few dimes out of this child's birth. And Chelsea's not having it. She has just gone through this experience where, for the first time in her life, she is thinking about doing the right thing. For the first time in her life, she's feeling real, genuine family connection with this baby. She's starting to have these maternal instincts, and now her mother is hovering over her also, squawking at her to try to use it to get money. And Chelsea just immediately tells her mother just to get out. And I think that Anita's visit to the hospital actually ended up helping Chelsea make the decision to go ahead and go through with giving custody of the baby to Billy and Victoria. I think that Chelsea sees the type of family that she's grown up with, sees the type of mother that she's had, and in a very, perhaps the first time in her life, a selfless way, wants to save her child from that, wants to save her child from herself and try to give the child a, a, a loving home with two parents and plenty of resources, I, which I don't necessarily means a good, don't necessarily think means a good home. I don't think two parents and resources uh, a happy home automatically makes. I think that it's her decision though, and she decided to go ahead and give Billy and Victoria custody of the child. So it's, it is good news for them. I'm sure that there are a ton of Billy and Victoria fans out there that are thrilled this week, and I'm thrilled for you. It's awesome. I <laughs> just, dang, for some reason, I just have not been able to get on board the Billy and Victoria train ever since he came back from Myanmar. I just can't do it. I'm sorry, I want to, but I just can't. <sighs> just have this new baby, and Victoria is at the hospital for the most part, but Billy is only there for a little bit. He's off at a Restless-style business meeting? They implied that, of course, they slept at the hotel. Billy and Victoria spent the night... Hotel. Hospital. <laughs> Gosh. They spent the night at the hospital with the child, and of course there was an implication of that. But the next day, Billy goes off to a meeting? <sighs> 
Victoria didn't take time off of work. They just bug me. I mean, Victoria, <laughs> on the day that her child is born, and to her credit, is she is being 100% open to this child. She feels it's her child. She wants it so bad that she is set her set in her mind that this is her child and there's just no two ways about it. She's wanted a baby for a really long time and she's not going to accept anything less than this is 100% her child because she can't have one of her own. But she's at the hospital on the day of her child's birth in business attire. It just kept bothering me. Chelsea looks like a mother who has just given birth, so sweaty and hot and blah. And Victoria is holding her a new baby wearing per- like perfection business attire clothes and necklace and just looking beautiful. It just bugged me. They dressed her down the next day into what was probably a $200 flannel shirt (laughs) so that she could look more like a mom in waiting. But mm, am I the only one who feels this way? Billy and Victoria just feel like they just both feel like spoiled brats. I can't believe I'm saying this. I know you guys are going to hate me, but I just do. It's how I feel. I got to be honest. There were definitely some good parts about it. Don't get me wrong. I'm not 100% against them. It was kind of entertaining to see Billy and Victoria going over the names and deciding what they were going to name the baby and picking some duds. (laughs) They were all over the map. Uh, They had some weird ones. Um, The one that sticks out the most is Cecil. (laughs) Which I don't think is, is as bad. It was... Pretty funny, though, when Victoria was suggesting Cecil and Jill and Esther, the grandmothers, stopped by and they mentioned Cecil as the name and Jill is like, please tell me you're kidding. (laughs) Please tell me you're not naming this child Cecil. And Victoria just had this look on her face and she goes, I like Cecil. (laughs) It was just funny. And, uh, of course, they eventually settled on a family name. Welcome to Genoa City, little John Abbott. I'm going to call him Johnny, I think. It's sweet. I I think it's fitting. It's a fitting uh, tribute to Billy's father. I'm going to call him Johnny, though. It's just John for a little baby. I want to call him. I, I, I like adding Y and I-E onto names to sweeten them up. So I'm going to call him little Johnny. <laughs> oh, it was cute. It was precious. It was a precious little moment there. I just wonder how long it will be until Lionard decides to age him to 18 years old. Let's face it, the real reason why I'm annoyed with Victoria is because she's being so rude to Adam, who I love. (laughs) I'm so transparent, aren't I? (laughs) So... After Adam saves the day completely, he slips away into the darkness, no thanks necessary. He even tells Chelsea, in no uncertain terms, I do not want you to tell anyone about the fact that I delivered your baby, that I saved you. I don't want anyone to know this is just going to be our secret. And it's it's been torturous, It's been absolutely torturous because we know the truth. (laughs) Everyone's 
wondering who the mystery person is that not only delivered the baby, but called the ambulance, made sure she got there, and rescued her from the ice. Everybody's wondering who this mystery person is. Well, duh! <laughs> it's obviously Adam. It's just nobody can open themselves up for even the briefest of moments to think that he could possibly do something good. And it just uh, bugs me. It, but I, you know, I guess we see a different side. We see Adam from the, you know, a third party perspective. No one else has any reason to think that he is actually a good person now. It's just that, you know, as viewers, we know the truth. And I'm, you know, I'm not a huge fan of Chelsea. I really have never been a huge fan of Chelsea. There's kind of a part of me that just wouldn't care very much if she left the show at this point. But I, you know, I... I'm neutral on Chelsea with maybe a slight bent toward liking her, I guess. I guess. I mean, I do like how friendly Adam is being with her. If anything, it's Adam that's warming me up to her. There's no other reason why I should like or care about her at all. But he's being there for her. He's coming to visit her. He knows the situation that she's in. He's bringing her flowers. And they're able to confide in one another. They're able to share their experiences. They're both outsiders who have each other's back, and I think that is a really good dynamic. I do enjoy their friendship. I don't particularly feel a romantic connection between them. I, I get more of a, a, a brotherly, sisterly vibe. I know there are some of you out there who are salivating licking your chops for an Adam and Chelsea romantic connection. But I, like, right now, I'm just feeling it as friends, which, mm, you never know, that might be exactly what I need in order to slowly warm me up to a romantic connection. But for now, I think that Chelsea just, I think she just understands Adam and forgives his mistakes when no one else in town will. No one else is willing to give him even the tiniest little bit of 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 leeway. Yet she's there believing him and letting him confide and just I don't know. It's it's that that part I do enjoy. So with everything that's gone on with Chelsea and the birth of the child, YNR has juxtaposed that this week with this scene between Ashley and Sharon. So we cannot help but be reminded of what Adam did in the situation between Ashley and Sharon. And I did appreciate that YNR wove that back in to the storyline. As everybody knows, just in case anybody who wasn't watching back then, uh, Adam basically scared Ashley into falling down the stairs and miscarrying her child while he was living with Ashley and Victor at the ranch while they were married, and then had to keep up this ruse, didn't want to admit that Ashley that he caused Ashley to miscarry, so he kept up this ruse, making her think she was pregnant, until finally she goes into hysterical labor, and well, what do you know, at the same time, Sharon is giving birth at the same mental hospital, I believe it was, or some sort of rest and relaxation place for rich people, and Adam, on the night of the birth, does the old, uh, the old famous baby switcheroo 
steals Sharon's baby Faith away from her, gives it to Ashley, and convinces Sharon, with the help, of course, of a doctor, Dr. Taylor, who he had in his pocket, uh, that, that her baby had died, convinced Sharon that her baby had died, and um, now Ashley was raising Faith. So, uh, Sharon and Ashley sit down this week to recall all of that had come out. Everybody knows the truth. Faith is now back with Sharon. But Sharon still wants Ashley to be a part of Faith's life. And I really appreciated that because I felt awful for Ashley in that situation. In everything that Adam has done, Ashley is his biggest victim. It's true. Nobody else suffered the way she did. So I appreciated that there was that moment between them. And while Ashley and Sharon were there with Faith kind of having lunch and presents and catching up and whatnot, Adam shows up at the coffee house where they are. And it's very awkward. Ashley actually confronted Adam and said, you know, you don't really have anything else here. You're broken up with Sharon. You have no job. You have no reason to be here. Why don't you just leave town? And I think Adam, who usually has this callous about him, I think he heard what Ashley had to say. And I think he, at that moment, thought, you know, why don't I? There's no reason for me to still be here. And I think that really did hurt him. Because I think probably above everything that he's done, what he did to Sharon, Faith, and Ashley is the thing that he is most ashamed of. And Sharon also didn't miss the opportunity to confront Adam uh, while he was there at the coffee house as well. And she, under, like, with, she had no problem just straight out asking Adam what was the deal with him and Chelsea. She had seen them hanging around a couple different times. She had learned from Nick uh, uh, that, you know, he was hanging around with Chelsea, and that's what caused this whole labor scenario to, to happen. And Sharon straight up asked him, what is your relationship with Chelsea? And Adam's like, hey, we're just friends. We connect and whatever. He just laid it out. Sharon seemed to believe him, but at the same time really scolded him about the whole being a good person thing. Like, you can't just talk the talk, you need to walk the walk, which he is doing. She just doesn't know it because she's no longer involved in his life. And I have to ask the question, I I mean, I guess I feel unsure at this point about Sharon's feelings for Adam. And I I just want to ask, do you guys think that Sharon is at all jealous of Adam and Chelsea's relationship? Or is she just totally over it? Because part of me thinks, oh my gosh, she seems indifferent to Adam at this point. Like, I don't feel that she is torn anymore. There was always this dichotomy happening with Sharon. She wanted to do the right thing, but she was attracted to the dark thing, which was Adam. And I don't feel that anymore. Sharon and Nick are uh, totally focused on work, totally focused on this new cosmetics-slash-beauty-care line. She's working some really long hours at Newman with Nick. They're hanging out in the conference room sniffing perfume, getting high on perfume, (laughs) perfumes, smelling, smelling the scents and reminiscing one of the scents 
miraculously and ironically smells exactly like Cassie's bubble bath that she used to use. They're connecting over everything. We're clearly moving back toward Nick and Sharon, which I'm so surprised about. It almost seems like Adam has been cut out of her consciousness. Sharon just flipped a switch and shut it off when it comes to Adam. And that pisses me off because I, I love Sharon and Adam. I just do. I think they're such a hot, hot couple. And it just seems completely gone now. <sighs> Sharon is looking really good, though. I am enjoying seeing her at Newman. Don't get me wrong about that. She is looking amazing. I am loving her business wardrobe. It's all very, like, tight at the waist and, and like, tight business top and skirt. And it's just very cute. She looks really good right now. And I like that this means a whole new independent Sharon. I just wish that she could have that with Adam, too. I wish Adam would go back to work at Newman or something. I need to get him up in there. I don't want him to forget about Sharon. I'm not ready to let it go. <laughs> but Aaron, or Aaron, I'm getting old, you guys. I'm getting people's names wrong, calling the hospital hotel. My goodness. Adam is trying to be a good person. He really is. He's focused on being a nice guy and just trying to follow his heart. He wants to get in on the family happiness about the baby. It is, after all, his nephew. And he, uh, Victoria and Abby, which uh, are at the athletic club, the day after the baby's born. I'm sorry, Victoria, you go out for lunch the day at the athletic club the day your baby's born. I'm, I'm just... It bugs me. She just, Victoria just bugs me at this point in my life. I don't know why, because I've always loved her so much in the future, or in the past. <sighs> but, <laughs> Victoria and Abby, at lunch, at the athletic club, Abby pulls out this Harley Davidson biker jacket gift that she wants to give to little John, and Adam comes up behind them and says, oh, I was kind of going to get him something like that, too. I was going to buy him a gift similar to that. And Victoria and Abby just lash out at him. They're so rude. He had this adorable little smile on his face when he talks and thinks about this baby, and then Victoria and Abby and everyone else just shut him down. They just shut him down every time he tries. I mean, I can't blame Victoria or anyone, really, for thinking the worst of Adam, but come on! He's not a baby, a habitual baby stiller. She acts like... He's going to steal the baby right out from the nursery and run away with him. Adam goes back to the hospital, tries to look at the baby through a glass plate, and Victoria walks up behind him and, and says, oh, put my baby away. He's not allowed to see my baby. He's not welcome here. And then proceeds to ream him to stay away from the child as if he's going to run away with him. It's ridiculous. Adam did what he did with Faith, to cover his tracks about something entirely different. It doesn't make it any less wrong what he did, but it certainly wasn't about the child. And maybe it's Adam's fault for not explaining that. Maybe it's Adam's fault for never really opening up about why he did what he did. But it's hard because only we know the truth. 
uh, that he was responsible for saving Chelsea and the baby. So it's breaking my heart every time they treat him poorly. I'd love to see Adam as a father. I love the look on his face when he sees or th talks about the baby. It's adorable. <sighs> well, finally, at the tail end of Friday's show, as Victoria's ripping Adam a new one, Chelsea comes up behind, witnesses this whole thing, sees the way Victoria's treating him, and decides to spill the beans. She tells the truth and says, hey, you're, there, you have no reason to be mean to Adam. You should be thanking him. He's the one that saved me. And Victoria, of course, has this look of shock on her face, <laughs> which was beautiful. I just, um, I just wonder if it's going to make any difference whatsoever. Will she start opening herself up to Adam? Is it possible? <sighs> I don't know. I, I personally would just love to see Adam bend over while Victoria and Billy kiss his skinny ass. Well, you know, you, you kind of got to give Victor some credit for playing a role in this whole situation having ended well. If it weren't for him and the help that he gave to Victoria, you know, you never know how things could have turned out differently. He did try. And I want to give him credit for that. Victoria went to him for help, and he did the right thing. So I don't want to overlook that. Um, of course, uh, <laughs> he gave her the help not before telling her one more time exactly what he thinks about Billy in no uncertain terms. And here is again where I know you guys won't agree with me, but I kind of agree with Victor about Billy. I know I'm alone in this. But I just feel like Victoria's head is so far up Billy's ass that she ignores all of the crappy things that he does. Billy is just this perpetual screw-up. He's a lovable screw-up. I'll give him that. He's funny. And he does try, I think, to be a good father to Delia, but he has some crippling self-confidence issues. But it's just that he just... Ugh, he's just a screw up and I don't know I don't like I don't like to have people like that in my life so I guess it's hard for me to forgive Billy for some reason and I just feel that she is blinded to him whenever Billy's in the room Victoria's brain seems to just leave her head and all of a sudden she's just Billy's wife she doesn't have ambitions or thoughts of her own. It feels like she's a different person around him. And I guess it's maybe it's for the good thing because for so many years, I think everyone was complaining about how stiff and uptight Victoria has been and so business focused and just this tiger-ass. And now that Billy is in her life, she <laughs> is different. She is more fun, and she, but she's at the same time more vacant. I think, and I get tired of it. So I understand where Victor is coming from. I'm probably the only one who is defending Victor a little bit this week. But after Victoria leaves, after having pleaded with him for his help, um, Nikki comes in. And Nikki is totally unaware of anything that's gone on with the baby, with Chelsea going missing. She doesn't know the baby's been born. And she asks Victor, what's up? And he just lies to her. He just brushes it off. He just says, nothing. Nothing's going on. Victoria, I mean, major development 
not only in Victoria's life, but in their family as well. Victoria asking, reaching out to Victor and him helping? Why did he even bother lying? Why didn't he just tell Nikki? I didn't understand that. How hard would it have been to just tell her what had just happened? He helped Victoria. Victor could have totally bragged to Nikki about that. She would have loved to hear it. She, Nikki would have eaten that up with a spoon and Nikki didn't do it, or Victor didn't do it. Instead, Anita bursts into Victor's office and basically tells all, leaving Nikki in the what the heck just happened with the what the heck just happened face on. So Victor has to fess up to everything that just happened and Nikki runs off in a huff the way she does every week. Every week. <laughs> It is, Vic, it is Victor doing something annoying and Nikki running out of his office and slamming the door behind her. It's every week. Well, this week she left Anita behind. And Victor offers Anita money to just go away. He <laughs> gets in the safe behind the picture on the wall, uh, cracks the safe, pulls out an envelope. I wish I had one of those. I really wish I had a picture in my house that looked like a picture, but then you swing it open and it's an awesome safe full of billions of dollars. That'd be nice. <laughs> Gotta get me one of those. Note to self. Um, <laughs> but he hands her this envelope, tells her, take the money, get lost. Don't go to the hospital. Don't pass go. Do not collect any more $200. Just get out. And of course, Anita promises that that's what she's going to do. And she takes the money and goes where exactly right to the hospital, of course. But later, Nikki comes back to Victor and says, what, what the hell? What just happened here? Why would you even bother to lie to me? And Victor, you guys are going to have to tell me whether or not you think this was a low blow. Because Victor immediately kind of uses Nikki's sobriety as an excuse. He basically tells her that the reason he didn't fess up about what was going on with Victoria was because he was afraid that it was going to set her over the edge. It was going to cause her to drink again, you know, which on the one hand I can't understand because Nikki is still close to the edge. It hasn't been very many weeks since we've seen her lusting over one of those bottles of vodka. So I can see where he's coming from on the one hand. Nikki could be drunk right now for all we know. Why We don't know. She could be drinking again. You never know. She's good at hiding it from everyone in her life. At the same time, though, I wonder if that is indeed why Victor was not telling the truth. I don't know if he's just a habitual liar or if he actually was um, concerned about her. You guys will have to leave me a message and let me know if you think that that was the truth. But whatever. After everything happens... Again, I mean, they, they, Nikki and Victor try to make it seem like it's just a healthy conversation, but it was hurtful to her that he would bring that up. But after all of this, Victor goes to the hospital. No one expected him to be there. He is has not at all been accepting of this child as his grandchild. It's not his blood. So, and it's and it's a product. The child is a product of Billy's um, irresponsibility irresponsibility, which I agree with. I, I agree with Victor on that. But 
he puts it aside. He goes to the hospital. He sees the baby. He talks to Victoria. And Victoria opens up about the fact that she is nervous that Chelsea's going to back out on the custody arrangement deal. So she, you got to give it to him. Not only did he go to the hospital when he didn't want to, he doesn't approve of all of this, but he went to the hospital for his daughter. He listened to what she was telling him, what her problems were, and then in a Victor Newman way, you can't tell Victor you have a problem and expect him not to rush off and attempt to fix it. In a very Victor Newman way, he (laughs) bounces across the hall over to where Chelsea is and tries to fix Victoria's problem tries to offer Chelsea money to get the hell out of Dodge. And Chelsea has really now developed a conscience and has decided that that's not what she wants to do. But Victor is going to try. And meanwhile, Nikki, when Victor is in in the hospital room with the baby and Victoria, she's all gushing over Victor, Victor, the fact that he's there. And two minutes later, she's out in the hall, eavesdropping, listening to this whole conversation go down between Chelsea and, and Victor. And kind of unfortunately, I guess, Victor and Chelsea are having a very frank conversation about how she came into the picture at all, and it essentially revealed everything that we already knew. Victor sent Chelsea to go drug Billy and take some pictures of her with him. He just wanted some photos to make it look like Billy was off cavorting in Myanmar after he left Victoria high and dry. Let's not forget that. Billy's such an angel, but I'm sorry, he still left Victoria and his child and his whole family high and dry to go off to Myanmar to surf. Ugh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Pardon me. Part of it, too, is that I'm not that attracted to Billy. Kane is is someone who keeps screwing up and screwing up, but I like the way he looks, so I forgive him. I think it's that I'm not as attracted to Billy, why I'm having a harder time forgiving him. But nonetheless... Victor's extent of involvement was fairly surface. He didn't orchestrate everything else that followed. But of course, Nikki didn't hear the full story. She only heard the part about Victor sent Chelsea to ruin Billy and Victoria's relationship, but stopped listening and walked away before Chelsea revealed that it was her that and her friends that came up with the whole let's plant drugs on him and sleep with him and get pregnant and then get him thrown in jail. That was all Chelsea's doing. That had nothing to do with Victor and... Uh, uh, Of course, Nikki didn't hear that part of the story. She always does this. She listens to half of the story, (laughs) makes her assumptions, and then just runs off. Ugh, she's so annoying (laughs) sometimes. But on the plus side, I have to tell you guys, I think that Melody Thomas Scott has lost some weight or something. She looks really, really good right now. Jack is scrambling to try to do damage control after Genevieve overheard the truth about his plan to marry her by the company and then dump her. 
I didn't think he was going to be able to talk his way out of it, but he did some fancy backpedaling, told Genevieve that he just was telling Nikki that so that she'd get off his back. He still really loves Genevieve, really wants to marry her, really wants to have the future that they deserved all along. And Genevieve seemed on the surface to buy it, but I don't think she's entirely sold. I think that... You know, this week really proved more than any other week that she does still love Jack. I think that she feels very weak when it comes to him. He is her weak spot. She loves him very, very much. Um, and I think she regrets everything that happened between them very, very much. So she wants to believe him. And that's, I think, going to be her downfall because there's there's no way. Jack still really, truly despises her. I think there's there may be a few kernels of love down in there, but his his desire for beauty of nature far 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 outweighs any small kernels of love that he has left in his heart for Genevieve. But so he's willing to go through with the marriage. Jack has got the jet fired up and he's ready to go to Vegas to get the show on the road. So, hey, by the way, was anyone else shocked this week to see Mrs. Martinez? <laughs> After all these years, we're always hearing about old Mrs. Martinez. I don't think we've ever seen her. I don't think Mrs. Martinez has ever been on screen. And let me tell you, she's no Aunt Mamie. That's for certain. <laughs> Guys, remember the Aunt Mamie days? The, the veteran viewers, I'm sure, remember Mamie quite well. She was the Abbott's housekeeper back in the day, and it, she was, I think, one of the first African-Americans on the show. And it was through her that Drusilla came onto the scene. She was Drusilla's niece. And, uh, I don't know, after Drew, well, Mamie started fading from the scene quite a bit. She, you know, but she was an integral part of a lot of the storylines, but, uh, she ended up leaving Genoa City, and, and oh yeah, that's right, she kind of had a thing with John Abbott, too. I think she was secretly in love with John for many, many years, and maybe it was after he died that she left. She's been gone for a while, but... Um, she was replaced by Mrs. Martinez. I think this is the first time we've seen her. I don't know. You guys let me know if, if you've seen her before. I didn't recognize her. But still, uh, she was there helping Jack get his bags all packed up. And he wants to leave immediately with Genevieve. But Genevieve has cooked up this idea that they need to leave separately. She's still got some things that she needs to do. So she tells Jack, you go on ahead. I'll meet you there. Which I find very suspicious. I thought for sure that she was just going to send him out of town and then sell the company while he was away, while he was occupied, and just never meet him in Vegas. I, I really, even as much as I love, or I think she loves him, I, uh, and part of me thinks she's not falling for this whole thing. She's heard it straight from the horse's mouth that he doesn't love her and that he plans to screw her over. So if she goes ahead with it, it's kind of at her own peril. But meanwhile, Nikki continues to try to convince Jack not to do it. He agrees they're going to fly to Vegas separately, but he is not budging on the whole marriage situation. Nikki's practically begging him not to do it. And Jack told her... I couldn't believe this. I was, I was shocked a little. But he said, you know, if you don't want me to marry Genevieve, why don't you, you marry me instead? 
all of the good ones are taken, he said. Because um, Nikki was immediately shocked. She, everyone knows she loves Victor. And, and uh, I, you know, he said it sort of in jest. I don't know. I don't know that Jack feels love for Nikki. But still, to even mention that, I don't know. I felt like Nikki and Jack were forming a really good friendship, but I didn't realize it was taking a romantic turn. And the fact that Nikki has been so vehement about Jack not marrying Genevieve, I took as simply her trying to save him from making a mistake in his life. I didn't think it had anything, like, I didn't think it was a vibe like, don't marry her because I still love you kind of thing going on. But apparently there's more to the story because on the heels of another disappointment in Victor, <sighs> Nikki follows Jack to Las Vegas unbeknownst to him. She traps him in an elevator. <laughs> and I think just maybe in a last ditch effort to try to get him not to marry Genevieve, she just plants a big old kiss on him. And from the previews of Monday's show, <laughs> you guys, it looks like Nikki and Jack are going to get married in Vegas. What? <laughs> I don't know why I didn't see it coming, but I totally didn't see it coming. But now that I think about it, I I, I, I guess it's not quite so surprising. Every single time something goes wrong with Nikki and Victor, she runs off and marries somebody else. Oh, could you, can we even count the number of times that this has happened? Another near miss for Nikki and Victor. I'm starting to just not even care anymore. I... I should have I should have just known we were building to this, but I just didn't. I just really did not see it coming. But the twists continue. That is not all. Because Genevieve is has arrived at the hotel separately. Watch me now call the hotel a hospital. For some reason, hotels and hospitals are getting mixed up in my brain. But Genevieve is getting ready for her big wedding day. And who shows up at her suite? She thinks it's Jack. But it's Victor. Victor has now also flown to Las Vegas. And he is approaching Genevieve with, I'm sure, another plea, one last plea, to get his hands on Beauty of Nature. One more plea. <laughs> and I, now that my eyes are open, oh, you guys, I really would not be surprised if... Victor and Genevieve both find out about Nikki and Jack getting married, and then Victor and Genevieve decide to go through with the whole marriage deal that was meant for Jack. I will just die if that happens. I feel like by the end of next week's show, Nikki and Jack might be married, and Genevieve and Victor might be married. I don't know. What do you guys think about that? I, that's my fear. I don't know for sure, but that is my fear. Oh, my goodness. I will just die. <laughs> Kane seems to be just fine with Jack being his stepfather, but I don't know how Kane is going to feel about Victor <laughs> being his stepfather. I think the Nikki and Jack portion of this bothers me less than Victor and Genevieve. Ugh, I will, I, I, I'm going to throw up if they get married. I'm going to be so upset. Well, 
earlier in the week, Cain actually decided to give Genevieve another chance. It was um, at Lily's behest, of course. Lily was pushing him to get back in touch with his mother. But they actually did meet for lunch, and it went really well. I was surprised that the whole thing didn't end in a big screaming match. But they actually got along. Cain and Genevieve just seemed to connect, and it seemed genuine on both of their parts. (laughs) But now, I think that when Cain sees what Genevieve has pulled, if she ends up marrying Victor, all treaties are null and void. (laughs) I can almost see it coming down the pike. And frankly, when Tucker learns what his childhood crush Genevieve has done after promising him that he was the lead runner to to buy Beauty of Nature. I seriously would not be surprised if Tucker at least thought about smashing one of those wine coolers straight over her head. It's time for the big reveal about Devon's hearing surgery. There was a question about whether or not he's ever going to be able to hear again. They had to put the implants in, wait a couple of weeks, and then turn them on. And it was literally, when we go to turn them on, either he's going to be able to hear perfectly or he's not going to be able to hear at all. And he's going to be in a worse situation than he was before. So... Everyone in the family is there, Neil and Sophia, Tucker, Harmony, Lily, they're all congregated around Devon waiting to hear the news, and um, they're at the hospital with, you know, and with the, uh, what do they call him, a technician (laughs) who with a computer was going to turn on Devon's hearing? Oh my, the technological advancements we are seeing now. And uh, I just wanted to make two little side notes, though, before I really get into it. First of all, Neil broke his hand, I guess. He had a he had a cast on or something on. And I'm just wondering if anybody knows what really happened to Neil's hand. Um, they played it into the storyline, but I'm sure something happened. Maybe Kristoff hurt his hand playing racquetball or something. <laughs> I don't know why I went there, but in my mind, he broke his hand playing racquetball, but I'm sure that's not the case, so if you happen to know what happened to his hand, please leave me a comment and let me know the truth, and the second point I wanted to make is that Lily looked really cute this week. She was running around Genoa City in this jean dress, which it's not easy to pull off a jean dress these days, but she did it. It was kind of a mini, and it had, um, you know, a nice collar on it, but it was kind of your classic jean dress, and she had her hair was kind of pulled over to one side, and it was really cute. It was a light denim, and it wasn't real heavyweight or stiff, so it kind of moved along with her, and it was just kind of funky, a little bit retro, and she just looked really, really cute, so I wanted to be sure to mention that, but back to the storyline, everyone is worried about Devon and what's going to happen with him, especially... Harmony. Harmony's the one who suggested this experimental surgery in the first place, and now she feels responsible if it doesn't work out. It's, gosh, the way she described it was so touching and so moving. She just didn't want to be responsible for any more pain in her son's life, and she was just saying, like, she was commenting on 
the way Devon was nervous about the situation, and he was. Devon was the night before on the internet looking up other people's comments on the surgery and seeing that it didn't work out, it didn't have a happy ending for a lot of people, and he just seemed worried, and Harmony said, you know, I he looked like he did when he was little, feeling helpless, and, you know, just, ugh, she just broke my heart. She just was crying. She just makes me cry when she cries. She, Harmony tugs on my heartstrings the way no one else does. She is such a tortured character, but she spins it all into positivity, and I just love it. And she was talking about how if the surgery didn't go as planned, she didn't know if she was going to be able to take it. She felt like she's been kind of jonesing lately and wanting to get back into her old drug habits, and she felt like if it goes badly, she didn't know if she was going to be able to stay on the wagon. And there was this wonderful moment between her and Neil in the hospital um, hotel <laughs> um, sanctuary where they uh, just connected for a moment and talked about uh, their sobriety. And Which, by the way, I would love to see Speaking of sobriety, more scenes between Harmony and Nikki. We had just a few of them when they went to AA a couple of times, and it, it was really moving. They just are, Harmony and Nikki seem like two women that are on the opposite ends of the spectrum in Genoa City, and yet they still have similar struggles, and I really enjoyed that. But Neil has had his struggles with sobriety, too. Neil was a freaking miserable drunk after Drew died. It was horrible. It was one of the worst storylines ever for Neil. I hated it. He was so awful. <laughs> and so he, but he went all the way down. Neil traveled all the way down. So he understands what it's like to be there. And there was this moment between Neil and Harmony where they just connected and he lightly just reached out and grabbed her hand and sort of just caressed it a little bit with his thumb. And they were looking into each other's eyes and there was just this brief moment of connection between them, and then Sophia walks in, <laughs> ruins the whole thing, and they dropped hands. They were holding hands, Sophia walks in, the hands part immediately, which says to me that they knew it was kind of wrong, that there was more to it, you know? Because if there was nothing to it, Neil would have just kept holding her hand and would have brought Sophia in on it and said, and had a little three-way three, three way thing going on, you know, just and for, as far as comforting. Neil would have turned around and said, hey, Sophia, come, you know, we're really just connecting here and I want to bring you in on it. But no, that wasn't it at all. It was drop hands, must not let Sophia know that we had this moment. And I don't think it was conscious. I think it was a subconscious thing. Uh, that they're, that it clearly states that they're both feeling it, which I love. <laughs> and I'm really not even feeling any rush to explore Harmony and Neil as much as I love it. I I want some build up. I want it really, really to be a slow burn because this is a couple I can really, really get into. Harmony and Neil. And I'm sorry that it leaves Sophia on the outs. I don't know what we're going to do with her. It's just making her look jealous and unloved. And she, she doesn't seem to have a place. I don't know. We need something. We need something to do with her. I don't want to leave Sophia out in the cold. But I'm sorry. Harmony and Neil, there is heat. Period. I wouldn't be surprised if Sophia left the show. Oh, no. 
I don't know. Because Sophia can't compete. How is she going to be able to compete? Neil has really never loved her. He had lust for her. But I don't, and, and I think to some extent there was a little bit of revenge going on toward Malcolm or just maybe some, you know, deep-seated subconscious wanting revenge against Malcolm who slept with his wife and had a baby. You know, I think some of that might have played into it, but I don't think that Neil ever really loved Sophia. I don't think he loves, I think he loves her as the mother of his child, but I don't think he's in love with her passionately now, so Sophia can't even compete. This triangle, there's nothing to it, so I just, I don't know. I don't know what we're going to do with Sophia, but I'm fine letting it be a slow burn between Neil and uh, Harmony. I think it's going to be good when we get there. So, Devon, back to Devon. Um, Everything ended finally with a big bang that Devon was able to hear again. Yay! I'm so glad. The look on his face when they turned on his implant and he was able to hear things was just wonderful. He was so filled with joy and everyone in the family was also filled with joy and relief and I'm so glad that this had a happy ending. I really don't think I could have taken it if it didn't. I would have been so upset, so sad if Devon turned out to just be deaf. Uh, forever, or if we had to go on like that, because he's a character that I think is finally getting his time to shine, and I'm curious to see him shine. And I think the, the weird thing is, the only one who wasn't there, who should have been there, for crying out loud, well, is well for one thing, Catherine, I think, should have been there, but uh, he should have invited her. And, but the other is Roxy. W- w- where is Roxy even supposed to be? He always, you know, he had a conversation with her on the phone. Like, why aren't our plays up this relationship as if Devon and Roxy are still in a relationship, but she's never there? Why? I like Roxy. I think she's could be totally sassy, and I would love to see more of her on the show, but we get her in sparse, sparse little bits. It's never anything big enough, and I think Devon deserves to have a romantic connection. Now that he's got his music career going, he's got his hearing back, I think we need to see Devon slip between the sheets with somebody. So who's it going to be if not Roxy? I mean, we had um, a brief romance, uh, or sort of an implication maybe, of a romance between him and Abby. Especially now that she's his boss, that could be hot. But, I mean, what happened with that? What happened... Uh, about with Devon and Abby's romance. Why don't, Why are we not pursuing that? Oh, yeah, probably because clearly we're getting set up for Abby and Carmine. Abby and Carmine had a little run-in this week at the coffee house. She bumped into him, caused him to spill hot coffee all over his hands, and she drove him to the emergency room. Gosh, we're seeing a lot of hospital this week. Uh, But she took him there to get some help for his burn, and they kind of started to bond. At first, it was very sexy between them. She's all, oh, would you like me to call your girlfriend? And just trying to fish to see whether or not he was single. And he seemed like he might be a little bit into her. And they had a little bit of chemistry work in there that I thought was interesting until 
Carmine learned that she was Abby Newman, the naked heiress, and, oh, he just put his foot in his mouth immediately. I couldn't even believe it. Carmine is such a jerk. He started saying, oh my gosh, you're the naked heiress. What have you been doing with your career? Oh, nothing? That's funny because I had a bet with my buddies that as soon as the whole naked thing was over, you'd be back to doing nothing, that you were a complete has-been. Totally accused her of just being a has-been, literally got on the phone with his buddy while she was in the room saying, hey, I'm here with Abby Newman. She's doing nothing. You owe me 50 bucks, man. Like, just so rude, so immature, so disrespectful. Abby was was appalled. Like, she's like, you're, you're a jerk. Goodbye. She storms out of the room, and they're kind of yelling back and forth at each other, and it's establishing... Of course, kind of a a love-hate relationship that's going to be coming. I mean, come on, you guys. Hot coffee is never just hot coffee (laughs) in Genoa City. (laughs) Literally, if you just add a a little bit of uh, tension to the romantic mix, it's, uh, it's a recipe for love. There is some major dissent in the Baldwin home right now, and I am not liking it at all. Michael and Lauren are snipping, being snippy with each other (sighs) over Fen, basically. Now that Daisy's back in town, Lauren doesn't feel safe. Lauren doesn't want her son anywhere near Daisy, so she sent Fen off to Canada to live with Scotty, and Michael's not having it. He feels like Daisy really hasn't been the huge threat that Lauren sees her as, and he misses his son, and he wants his son to come home, but Lauren is not about to have it. I personally, I kind of see Lauren's point. I mean, Michael should know how dangerous Daisy has the capability of being. She kidnapped Lauren. She tortured her. I can kind of understand where Lauren is coming from, and I'm a little bit surprised that Michael is not being more sensitive to that. I think it really is just coming from the place that he wants his son to be home with him. I think he just misses his son. Now, casting note, I read this week that both Fen and Summer, Phyllis's daughter, are going to be rapidly aged. Magnificent! Can kids on the show ever be kids? Because I read weeks ago, we all know this was coming, I think, uh, that they also recast Kyle. They're aging Kyle and bringing Kyle back really soon. Which bugs me, too, because I really liked the little actor that played Kyle. I think that they could have brought him on the show a little bit more. He was the only child actor that I think I've ever liked in the history of the show. And, of course, they had to rapidly age him. Why can't kids just be kids? Sometimes it gets ridiculous. The ages of the kids versus the ages of the actors just doesn't make any sense. <laughs> but I guess you got to take the good with the bad. So I read that Summer is going to come back as just kind of your typical teenage girl. But Fen is going to come back with a little bit of a chip on his shoulder. I mean... His dad is kind of a dark bird. Michael has had some dark days. So I could see Fen having some possible emotional problems when he comes back. Now, meanwhile, while the all of this dissent is going on in the Baldwin home, Phyllis just received 
a message from beyond the grave from her father. Avery has just come back from, I think it was Ohio, to, you know, settle the, the father's estate who just died. And she made everything right by paying back all of the people that he scammed. But she also, I guess in accordance with the will, delivered this package to Phyllis. It was just a manila envelope. It said for Phyllis on the front of it. Avery didn't open it. She didn't feel like it was her place. She came to Restless Style, handed it to Phyllis, who didn't want to open it, was obviously taken aback by the fact that it was something from this father who she's had a horrible relationship with, tortured relationship with. And she opened up the envelope, took one little tiny peek into it, and knew immediately what it was and tossed it on the table. She didn't even have to look in the envelope to know what it was. Eventually, she grabbed it and pulled out a book. A copy, an old, tattered copy of Black Beauty, which was something that her father read to her when she was a child. And Phyllis immediately saw this as her father trying to get one last dig in at her, a way to make her feel guilty, which I think was very paranoid of Phyllis. This is something that was obviously in his will uh, long before Phyllis went to visit him this last time. And I think Avery's assessment of it was much more realistic that this was the fa- this was the father's final way of saying to Phyllis that he never forgot about her. You know, for all of the crappy stuff that he did, he still loved Phyllis and still remembered some of the good times, the more simple times, and what he did in his business didn't necessarily um, speak for how he felt about her. So Avery was so emotional over this because she saw it for what it probably was, but at the same time, she was really close with the father always, and the father never left her anything. She got nothing. She just got the responsibility of keeping the family together for her entire life and the responsibility of taking care of his estate after his death. So Phyllis is is just callous as always and Avery is an emotional wreck. And she goes to the club with Michael to get her mind off of everything personal. She starts to work on Daniel's case. A trial date has been set for Daniel's custody hearing. It's going to be maybe two weeks away. And she goes with Michael to the athletic club to start to prep. And Michael wants to get his mind off of everything going on with Lauren. Lauren has decided she's going to go off to Canada to visit Fenn. She tells Michael that she wants him to come with, but Lauren also intimates that she's getting sick of Michael always having to deal with business, always putting his work ahead of his family life, which I can totally see that point. Michael's been putting his work ahead of his family life for a really long time. When when the Newmans say, jump Michael, or someone has a legal issue, Michael's there, and he's there for everyone in his family, and, and I can see how Lauren would be getting tired of that, but she kind of threw it out at an inappropriate time, and it's just, they're having some problems, and Avery's trying to forget her problems, and they're sitting at the athletic club together, Avery and Michael, and it just hit me out of thin air. Michael is comforting Avery, and I realized, oh my gosh, Michael and Avery! Michael and Avery are totally, I think, it's possible, 
they, they're gonna have a love connection there. Like, I can see, I almost can see that that's where it's going. Ugh. I mean, I love Lauren and Michael. Lauren and Michael are one of my favorite couples on the show just simply because they're always stable. They have been through a lot and they're stronger than ever. And now all of a sudden, they're having these problems over stupid Daisy. And I'm afraid that Michael is going to (laughs) stray. I hope not. I really, really hope not. If anybody's going to stray, I think... (laughs) I think Avery and Lauren... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what would be better? If Avery's going to sleep with one of them, it should be Lauren. <laughs> ah, I'm sorry, you guys, but Avery is gay. <laughs> I have no evidence to back up this statement whatsoever. Just a sheer faith that, I don't know, just a sheer vibe on my part that Avery is a, is gay. <laughs> I don't know what it is. I just, uh, when she came into town, she just, at first, I think I made that, I think I made that argument when she first came into town, and then she got involved with Nick, but there's just something about her that makes me think, she might be playing for the other team. (laughs) I don't know, maybe it's just that, it might just be that Avery kind of gives me a Portia de Rossi vibe. Okay, well, my podcast friends, that is going to do it for your old pal Allie for this week. I have blabbed on for an hour about the show. (laughs) It is almost embarrassing how long I can blab about this, but... The now it's time to flip it. It's your turn to blab at me. It's been a really juicy week. There's been a lot of interesting stuff going on, and I have a feeling that I'm gonna that I'm giving some unpopular opinions <laughs> this week, and it's not on purpose. I just I'm finding myself. You know me. I'm never negative, but I'm just finding myself. I don't like Billy and Victoria. I'm I. I'm 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 sure I can come around. I can be convinced if you guys tell me why I should. Please help set me straight. Whether it's telling me where I'm wrong or telling me where I'm right or, you know, shedding some new light and giving me a different way of looking at things than I've looked at them before. I love your feedback and I'm really really looking forward to getting it this week. So, Here's how you can contact me. There's a couple of different ways, all of which I'm sure you all know about by now, but I will (laughs) repeat it for the hundredth time, just in case there's anybody new out there. Um, You can feedback by giving me a phone call, which I think is the easiest way. You can leave me a voicemail, and um, I don't have to put it into the next podcast. I I sometimes do, but I don't have to. So if you want to leave me a voicemail and tell me not to put it into the podcast, you can definitely do that too, and I'll just listen and soak in your opinion. It doesn't have to be any big deal. You don't have to be self-conscious or anything like that. But I do like hearing your voices too. As much as you like hearing my voice, believe me, I like hearing yours. So the telephone number is area code 309-588-4569. It's just a voicemail. And it's, um, once again, country code 1, if you're outside of the U.S., area code 309 309- 
588-4569. Or you can go to my blog at yrchatblog.blogspot.com and you can scroll to the posting for this week's podcast and you can just leave me a comment there. Or if it's easier, you can just shoot me an email directly to yrchat at live.com. One more time, it's yrchat at live.com. I can't even tell you how much I enjoy reading and responding to your comments, and I do try to respond always. So um, if you want to chat further, chat beyond the podcast with me, um, that's really awesome, and I'll be looking forward to that. The other thing that you can always do is if you're listening to the podcast on iTunes, you can go to iTunes and leave a review. Just type in Young and the Restless podcast. You'll find me um, on iTunes and just leave a little review. Um, that always helps me out. It helps um, for, to get new people to find the podcast. And if you have a blog or anything like that, it totally also helps me out if you would like to post the link to the podcast. So kind of spread the word and keep people listening. And, and, you know, keeping people listening and commenting definitely helps keep me motivated. Keeps me on the right track. You guys set me in my place. <laughs> Uh, it's always a pleasure. That's why I do it. I do it because I love the show and I don't know anybody in my life who listens to YNR. So <laughs> I've built myself my own little fan, YNR fan community here so I can chat with other people about it. Not only in, uh, you know, in my local area, but in my country and across the world. It always fascinates me to hear from different people from different regions. I mean, gosh, not only viewing things through their own kind of personal window, but even a cultural window. So um, definitely wherever you're from, wherever you are, find a way to contact me. I love to hear from you. Okay. Well, my goodness, I guess that's just about it for me. Um, I hope that you guys have an awesome week next week, and I will be back for sure next Sunday to chat again about the show, so I'll be looking forward to it. Okay, you guys, I love you so much, and I'll talk to you later. Bye!